Hey, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 2, but also go to Philippians chapter 4. Two sermons for the price of one. Woo! All right? It's not really. But if, if you go to Luke chapter 2, and that's where we're going to start off, and then put a, put a bookmark or something into um, Philippians chapter 4, because we're going to go there a bit later into this message, all right? Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to be to start off with, though. And, and, and this week, I was kind of looking around my house, knowing what I was going to be preaching about on Sunday today, and, and I just see that, that we have this word. It's, it's on a couple of, like, Pinterest-looking wood things. You know, everybody's got those. Um, it's it's, it's on, on a bookshelf above our television, and it's, it's in this word, if, if the batteries are charged up, it lights up. It's, it's on a pillow that comes out every Christmas, and it goes on our couch because it's Christmas. And the word, the word is joy. It's joy. It's kind of a, a major theme all the way throughout Christmas, right? It's, it's, it's actually the theme of what we're going to look at this morning for, from the angels, these messengers that came to proclaim the first Christmas, and they proclaim this message of joy. Okay, your Bible's open to Luke chapter 2. Look what it says starting in verse 8. It says, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. There will be for all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. There's this, this great joy that they're proclaiming. Now, I love that because the angels weren't just bringing a message of joy. They, they add this adjective to it. They say, no, we have a message of great joy. In fact, in the Greek, the, the word there is where we get our word mega from. They're saying we've got mega joy to announce. This is the message of Christmas, that with Christmas comes this great joy. Now, how, how many of you, by show of hands, Put your hand up. How many of you, like, you're totally done your Christmas shopping? You've got it nailed. You're all finished. Like, not because you don't shop for Christmas, but you are. Like, come on. You don't want to get proud of yourself, right? Throw your hand up, right? Right? How many of you are not even close? Anybody? All right. Cool, cool, cool. I, you're, the, you're the people I'm going to meet in Walmart on Christmas Eve. That's great. All right? <laughs> How many of this whole idea of buying presents, of making Christmas happen, of family coming over, are you going to family and making the meal and making sure that you, you make the meal good enough because your mother-in-law had a, a, a recipe for sweet potatoes that you better match that, like that kind of deal, right? And how many, the whole idea of Christmas and all that goes with it, how many, there's a, there's a little bit of angst that comes with it. Anybody? A little bit of stress that comes with Christmas, Right? In the season that's supposed to be the season of great joy, it feels like at Christmas there can be more anxiety, more stress than in any other time of the year. And here's the reality, though. Every single one of us in this room is on a quest for joy. It's how we're created. We're, we're naturally driven by this pursuit of joy. Everything we do finds joy, this pursuit of I need joy. It's, it's what drives us into life. John Piper, one of my favorite preachers in the world, um, around our house we call him Pipes. I don't know. I've never met him. I don't know if you'd find that cool or not, but whatever. Um, his whole ministry is about this pursuit of joy. He says it's the, it's the foundation of everything that he calls his people to. And he, he says this, when we put all our hope, all our satisfaction in this pursuit of joy in God, God is glorified and we're filled with joy. Now you look at this text again in verse 10. 
It says the angels are bringing good news. That, that's the root of the joy they're bringing. They're not saying we're bringing joy. They're saying we're bringing good news. And out of that good news comes this great joy for all people. And what's the good news? It says good news that a savior, that our, our greatest need is being met, that someone is coming to save us. Christ, the Messiah, the rescuer, the Lord, our King is born. That's the good news of great joy. Now, here's the thing. Even as I say that, if we're honest with ourselves, how often are we pursuing something so lesser than that, lesser than a great joy? Instead of a pursuit of joy, we settle for this pursuit of happiness. And listen, I'm not anti-happy. I love happy, all right? Our church office, if you come here during the week, there's a lot of laughter that happens here with our staff. Just, just yesterday, I was at a potluck with a ton of people from our church. The house was full of happiness. Man, I love happy. But the problem with pursuing happiness alone is that happiness can be so temporary. I mean, you've probably heard this said before, right? That, that happiness is dependent on your happenings. And, and when, when happenings change, our happiness changes. The scriptures have something so much better than just happiness. It says here that with Jesus, there is this, this joy, that joy is actually the substance of being a Christian. It's, it's the natural state of a, a Christ follower. It's the overflow of our relationship with Jesus. When you know Jesus, there is a joy about you. Verse 10 says it's, it's a, a good news of joy for all people. I mean, that this news came to shepherds should be encouraging to all of us. These are guys who you would not expect to be included in this announcement of joy because shepherds were the, the lowest of the low in their culture. In, in social circles, shepherds are just one step above those with leprosy. That, that's who they were in that time. And, and, and these guys that the announcement comes to, they're on the night shift. So, so, I mean, they're like a step lower than just a regular shepherd, right? It's the kind of job that you take when you can't get any other job. They were known as thieves and liars. And this announcement of joy comes to them. And how do they respond to the announcement? As they respond to the announcement, they respond in worship and joy. And these shepherds become messengers of the good news. The, these sinners become saints. The dead are made alive. And, and so listen, if you know Jesus, there is this joy that's going to overflow out of you because of the rescue that you experience like these shepherds. Have you ever hung out with someone who's like a brand new Jesus follower and you go out for coffee with them and you're like, man, these people are fired up about Jesus, right? They're filled with joy. And, and here's why I believe this, because the closer you are to the rescue, the more joy is easily experienced. And so listen, listen, if you're a Christ follower, if you're a Christian this morning, stay close to the rescue. See, every day that you wake up, this, this joy of your salvation. See, again, today, when you wake up, you say, man, I'm a child of God. I, I was a, a dirty shepherd who didn't deserve this, and yet this morning, I get to wake up in the palace of the king as a child of the king. And as a child of God, like, like, like a kid resembles their parents, you naturally, filled with the Spirit, you, you have God's attributes about you, and joy is one of those. Now think about it. We don't always picture God as joyful, right? Like, like you, if you picture God, you, you can say, no, I, I get God is holy. I get God is just. I get he is awesome and powerful. And yet Proverbs 8 
talks about God rejoicing in his creation. And when he sees you, when he sees humankind, it says he's filled with delight. And, and the word there in Proverbs 8, used for delight, it, it literally means he dances with joy. So, so God doesn't look down on, on humankind, on his creation, and go, man, that's pretty good. No, he, he, it, the word actually literally is, it's just so weird to think about God doing this, it's frolic. God frolics, right? Zephaniah 3.17 says that the Lord delights over his kids, over sons and daughters of his, and it says he rejoices over you with singing. God, our God is a God who, who dances and sings with joy. And so if you are a child of God, if, if you know Jesus, if you're filled with his spirit, if you're a Christ follower, you'll have this joy. It's, it's a substance of, of what Christians are. It's a natural overflow of his presence in your life. And Jesus says this in John 16, 22. He says, even in sorrow, no one will take away your joy. Even in sorrow. So, so get this, the, the opposite of joy is, is not sorrow. There will be sorrow in this world. We're promised that we will have sorrow in this world. Jesus, although I believe full of joy, when you also read in the Gospels, you see he is burdened a lot as well. Joy is not the absence of sorrow. So if you're here this morning, don't, don't hear this weight being, being spoken over you that, that, man, you've got to be happy all the time. That's not what joy is. There, there is sorrow in this life, but, but the joy of the gospel overwhelms that sorrow. I think of it this way. How, how can the two be together? I, I think of like a, a new mom who has just gone through the pain of childbirth, and even as she holds a little newborn, she's still full of pain, right? But she's also buoyant with joy in the midst of the pain. And for a Christian, there is a, a joy of the gospel that, that overwhelms even the suffering. Like when you open the door of your house on a cold winter day and that bursting in of cold air comes into your home and then you hear the furnace kick on and the furnace overwhelms the coldness. So for a Christian, there will be sorrow. As it comes in, the joy of the gospel, the, the joy produced in you as you abide in Christ, filled with the Spirit, that joy, like the furnace kicking on, overwhelms the sorrow. And so as a Christ follower, it, it, it isn't a life without sorrow. We're not just happy all the time. There, there is sorrow. There is sadness. There is anguish about this life. But with it, there is also joy. So the opposite of joy is not sorrow. I would say this, though. The opposite of joy is hopelessness. The opposite of joy is having no hope. Right? In, in Romans 5, it talks about the, the suffering that we'll experience, the, the, the difficulty, and, and out of that suffering is produced perseverance and character and hope. And it says this, a hope that doesn't disappoint because it's a hope in the steadfast love of God poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. There's a hope. There's a hope that we cling to, clinging to this, this unchanging character and unchanging promises of God. But what happens is, what we tend to do, we have this tendency to seek happiness in things that are actually changing. Now, usually we pursue happiness in one of three areas. We go after happiness in, in personal self-improvement, or, or, or we go after happiness in other people, 
Or thirdly, we go after happiness in, in the things of this world, what the world has to offer. And I, mean, I mean, think about that. Think about the first one, self-improvement. And maybe you never said this out loud, but maybe you thought in your head, man, if I could just change this one thing about me, I'd be happy. In a few short weeks, we're going to be hitting that time of the year where everyone's going to get back into shape, right? Right? If you work out, you hate that, right? Because in the gym for January, it's just full of all guys like me going, yeah, I'm doing it this year, right? And you just wait it out because, you know, by February, I won't be there anymore, right? right? We're striving for something that is, that is like one really good donut away from losing it, right? <laughs> or or maybe, maybe we strive for this happiness of self-improvement. Maybe for you, it's about your job. If I could just get the raise, if, if I, could, I could just close this deal, if I could just get that promotion, if I, I could just grow my business, if I could just get this other job that I'm hoping for, then I'll be satisfied and we're chasing after a joy that we'll never catch. Or maybe for you it's a hobby or, or an experience or, or maybe it's a list of do's and don'ts. Once I start getting this in order, if I could just improve me, then I would be happy. Or we go after other people. And, and we hope, man, I can find my joy if I could, if I could just find these people. And I, we hope that people will carry the weight of our soul's need for joy. Man, if I was just in the right relationship, then I would be happy. Single people thinking, man, if I was just married, I would be happy every day. Right, that giggles for married people, right? <laughs> does, marry, does, mar- does, like, does marriage make you happy every day? <laughs> Now, careful how you answer, because your spouse is sitting beside you. And you're like, no, I mean, yes, every day. Like, some days for sure, right? Some days it's not. Some days it's hard. Whereas parents, we can sometimes put our hope in our kids. If, 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 if my kids are happy, then I'll be happy. And, and, and it, it works for a while, but not always. Or hope in friends, if I only had this friendship, if that person was in my life, if I could fix this relationship and we looked to other people or relationships to fulfill us, here's the problem with, with having other people as our hope for joy. What we're doing is we're taking our keys for happiness and we're handing them out to other wretched sinners just like us. Hey, you're going to be responsible now for my happiness. And we're looking for people to do something in us that they were never created to do. Maybe the third way you look for joy is we, we look at what the world offers. Sometimes it's the classic sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? If I, if I pursue those things and, 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 and we're addicted as a culture to this instant gratification, if I only just have this. But here, here's the thing. The road to addiction, whether it's substances or whether it's pornography or whatever it is, that road to addiction is a very sweet road. The destination is horrific. It's devastating. Or, or maybe, maybe the, the happiness we look for, it's actually in good things. And, and God gives us a world full of so many good things to enjoy. These amazing gifts. But listen, when we start to seek the gift instead of the giver of the gift as our source of joy, it's fleeting. When I think about my family. My, my family is not a winter family. This morning, my kids don't wake up going, yay. They wake up going, oh, man. All right. I used to love winter. I did so many winter sports, but I have failed as a father and head of my home. Um, (laughs) 
and my family has not enjoyed. So, so what do we do? When winter hits, we look for the cheapest opportunities to go someplace warm. And, and, and I mean, we love the beach. And, 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 but here's the thing. When you start to think about what's it like to just go sit on a beach, and, and right away, maybe your heart right now is going, I'm feeling that joy, right? But think about it. Is, is it all it's cracked up to be all the time? Like there are moments when it feels just perfect, and then, and then there are moments when some dude thinks, hey, I should feed the rest of my sandwich to the seagull, and then a hundred seagulls come, and your joy goes away, leaving a deposit, right? And, right? <laughs> I don't think anybody in here would, would, would actually say that my meaning and my joy is in my stuff, and yet how many of us attach our happiness there, our joy there? If I could just get the better car, the nicer house, the newer phone, the better wardrobe, the faster snowmobile. That one hurt? Anybody? Okay, all right. <laughs> right? It's so fleeting. It's so temporary. But we get caught in this, this cul-de-sac of stupidity, and, and, and we know what. I know last time the stuff didn't bring me joy, but maybe this time it will. And I'm telling you, there's something wrong with us whether we're pursuing it in being a better you or whether you're pursuing it in other people or whether we are pursuing it in the stuff of this earth, the problem with it is it's so temporary, it's so fickle. If our happiness, if our joy is based on our circumstances, those circumstances are continually changing. It leads us to exhaustion and anxiousness and fear because we're looking for things that can never give us, never fulfill, never satisfy what only our creator can. I mean, you see the truth of the gospel, what the angels are actually saying. They're saying, shepherds, shepherds, when you lean your head into that manger, you find Jesus and you also find joy. I bring you good news of great joy. Jesus fulfills everything that we're looking for in these other places. I mean, think about what Jesus feels. If you're looking for self-improvement, and, and, and man, if I could just improve myself physically, I mean, think about it. Here's good news. In Christ, one day, you'll receive a resurrected, glorified body. Everybody over 40 goes, amen, right on, right? <laughs> in Christ, you don't, need to, you don't need to define yourself by what you do by your vocation, because if you're in Christ, he's given you a spiritual gift. He's placed you in a body of other believers, and the only evaluation that matters is what he says when he looks at his followers, and he says, well done, good and faithful servants. Enter into the joy of your master. In Christ, you don't have to hang your happiness on the approval of others, because you have, listen, you have the approval of God in Christ. You have Jesus, who is the, the greatest friend and brother you could ever have because he loves you unconditionally. He'll never leave you, never forsake you. In Christ, we don't have to look for our joy in what, what the stuff of this world offers us because if you're in Christ, listen, you're gonna have an inheritance that everything that is his will be one day yours. Listen, here's what's crazy about that. That, that when we get off the merry-go-round of, of searching for our happiness, when you're in Christ, you can even enjoy the gifts that God gives you in a greater way. You can sit on that beach. Listen, the person sitting on the beach who has no concept, who does not believe in the creator God who's given these gifts, all they can enjoy is the actual beach itself. But you can sit there on the beach and, and you can be in this moment of worship and joy of the one who created it and gave it to you as a gift. It's just deeper. 
Our problem is when we're pursuing happiness and all of these external things, all these circumstances, and in order for all the circumstances to line up in a way that, that we need them to be, you need to be in absolute control of all those circumstances. If, if it's people you're seeking after, you're like, man, I wish they could all get on the same calendar and treat me the way I want them to treat me on the same day all the time. But they all, you know, you wake up and maybe your spouse is doing great. You go to work and your boss is a jerk. You're like, oh, man. And you're, you've got to control all of these things to make sure they all line up. And, and if everything's under my control and I can get what I want, man, then I'll be happy. Here's the myth. The myth is that we're actually in control. Think about it. I mean, for, for that happiness to last, you, you've got to be able to control your emotions and you've got to control the emotions of everybody else around you. You've got to control the economy. You've got to control your finances. You've got to control the weather. You've got to control... I mean, it's exhausting to think about everything that you'd have to control. And, and it's exhausting because we realize that if it's all up to us, if, if I take my hands off the wheel, I'm, I'm not being led into joy and contentment. It's going to swerve off into the ditch of chaos. And it's into that chaos that the angels speak. Into that night, the angels say, there's good news of great joy. I want us to make a trade today that we would trade in this pursuit of happiness for a pursuit of everlasting, eternal, great, immovable joy in Christ. In fact, flip over to Philippians. Yeah, that kind of rhymes. Go over to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 4, but as you get there, Paul, Paul, the person writing this letter, he's, he's, the, the life for Paul was, it wasn't a life of happiness in his circumstances. I mean, if you know anything about Paul, I mean, how many times he was beaten, how many times he was shipwrecked. Here he's writing this letter from prison, and prison in his day wasn't a cot in a room lifting weights in the yard. It was probably a hole in the ground that he was thrown into. And it's in this place he writes the book of Philippians, and he just goes on and on and on about joy. In fact, look at verse four. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice, have joy. Have joy, not, not in your bank account, not, not in the people in your life, not in your circumstances. What's he say? Rejoice in the Lord. In the Lord's where, where you find your joy. And then he goes on, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Like always, really? How, how do I do that? I mean, how can Paul say, how can the angels announce there's this promise of great joy when my circumstances are in chaos? Listen, the reason we can believe this is because the Lord, the Lord has the last word in your life. Your circumstances don't. Sickness, listen, sickness does not have the last word in your life. The doctors do not have the last word in your life. Your marital status does not have the last word in your life. Your bank account does not have the last word in your life. Your friends do not have the last word in your life. Your struggles you may be having even right now do not have the last word in your life. Even if all of your circumstances are horrible, Jesus, the sovereign king of the universe, has the last word in your life. And that's how we rejoice. Amen. It's, it's not because of what's happening right now that we rejoice. It's, it's because of the one who still has the whole world in his hands. And because of that, even when circumstances seem tough, we can still rejoice.
Now, I look at it this way. Um, my wife and I are watching a series with our youngest daughter right now, and in, in one of the episodes in the series, one of the main characters dies. And we're like, what? Literally, that's what we were like, what? It was one of our favorite characters. Like, I can't believe, like, he's one of the main, like, he's one of the names as an actor that comes up when, when the show starts. Like, there's, what? And because I hate surprises, and um, what I did was I... I don't like to wait for stuff, so I grab my phone and I start scrolling into the next season, right? And I'm looking for the cast of actors in the next season. I'm like, oh, he's there, okay. <laughs> right? My angst watching that episode instantly gone. Why? Why? Because I know how the story ends. Silly illustration, but listen, listen. As a Christ follower, you know how your life story ends. As Paul would say, whether I live or whether I die, I'm Christ's. Jesus has the last word. In fact, Paul goes on in verse five here. He says, rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. Then he says this, let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. Let your reasonableness may be known. In Greek, what he's saying is don't freak out when there's circumstances going on around you, right? Doesn't really mean that in Greek, but you get it, right? So Paul is saying this, that, that when you're going through life struggles and trials and you have this joy and somebody says to you, how are you not freaking out in this? You will be able to say, I have a reason. What's the reason? Look what it says. The Lord is at hand. How can you have joy? I know what you're going through. How would you have joy in this? Because the Lord's at hand, because God is in control. And, and I may not understand what's going on right now, but I understand that God works out all things for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And even I don't understand his hand at times because of the cross, I, I can trust his heart in this. And so Paul says this. He says, this is what you do with the anxiety then. Look at verse six. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in prayer, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Paul's saying, hey, take that thing you're freaking out about. Take that circumstance you're trying to get control over in your pursuit of happiness. He says, take that thing, that, that finance, that relationship struggle, that spiritual battle, that, that physical trial, whatever it is, take that thing and you've got one of two options to do with it. You either put it in the bucket of worry or you put it in the bucket of prayer. It's one or the other. In my house, if there's something that's needed to be remembered, I, I'm not the trustworthy one. And so my family, and it's, it's all good, it, it, they'll text me a couple of times, Dad, remember to pick this up. Dad, remember you said you're going to do this, right? But, but do you know those people, though, in your life where, like, you give them something, I mean, it's locked down. You know for sure it's happening. You can totally trust them. And, and Paul, what he's saying is, 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 do you trust the Lord? Okay, when you have this struggle, do you trust him? Because he's saying this, if you pray, if you put that in the bucket of prayer, why would you worry? And if you're going to worry, why pray? So do, do you trust? Like, can, you, can you drop it in that, in that bucket of prayer and say, no, I trust completely. I don't need to put it in the worry. I don't need to come back and check it again. Like I've given this to the Lord. And so we take our anxieties. We bring them to the Lord. And I love it says, you, you pray. You keep bringing them. It's, it's an ongoing thing. And I love that God's not a God who says, again, you're asking about this? He's like, bring it to me again. Ask again. Bring your heart to me again. We bring it to the Lord. We say, God, here it is. I trust you. I, I, I trust that you know what's best for me. And sometimes my circumstances aren't going the way that I would plan them to go. 
but I have a hope. It's why Paul says you, you do this with thanksgiving. God, you've ordained this day. Your hand is on these situations. I'm so thankful you're the one in control. Look at verse 7. You see the result of this. It says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. It's, it's like, how do you have this peace? Will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I love that. He says, it's going to guard your heart and mind. When, when circumstances get out of control, what can so often happen, and maybe you've experienced this too, when your circumstances are chaotic, it's like this opportunity. It's like Satan watches for those opportunities, and the father of lie, lies sneaks in at that opportunity and begins to whisper lies into your heart and mind. Like when things are falling apart, and you begin to hear these whispers, see, God doesn't love you. See, the reason this is happening to you, it's your fault. You're condemned. It's been the same lie since the beginning of, in the Garden of Eden. Does, does God really care about you? And God says, hey, listen, when those things come at you, when your circumstances are difficult, bring that stuff to me and I'll guard your heart and mind. And the Spirit of God in that moment as you're laying your, your burdens at the cross, as you're bringing that to the Lord in that, in that moment that, that God says, I'll remind you, I'll remind you, Romans 8, 1, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. At the end of that chapter, in Romans 8, 32, he says this, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not graciously give us all things? Let that guard your heart and mind. I mean, that there, it's this, this foundation, this, this guarantee that is so strong, so secure, there's, there's no possibility that, that that promise could ever be broken. I gave my son for you. How would I not do everything else for your joy? That's the bucket of hope. That's the prayer bucket we put our trials in. Rather than putting our faith in our circumstances and, and feeling so exhausted, so anxious, we say, God, here are my anxieties. I'm going to trust you with these. Look at verse 8. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything of excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Let, let me sum that up in, in a way that's so easy, what Paul would be saying here. I think one way you could sum that up is think about Jesus. T take your eyes off of the circumstances and see Jesus. See his love poured out on you at the cross. See that he has the whole world in his hands. In verse 9, Paul says this, whatever you've learned and received and heard, and seen in me, practice these things. I love that. Take this hope and put it into action. Practice it. And, and you're not going to do it perfectly, but, but step out in faith. Put this hope into action. Saturate yourself in the word. Abide in prayer. Put this into action. What happens? What's it say here? It says, and the God of peace will be with you. As you lean into this, as you lean into God, God picks you up and you get him as the gift. And with him comes the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, gentleness. That's the natural outworking of being in God's presence that joy naturally flows out. So church, imagine this. Imagine if today, imagine if we walk out of here today and for the rest of our life, imagine you rejoice in the Lord. 
that you are anxious about nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving you made your requests known to God. And the God of peace transcends all understanding that he guarded your heart and guarded your mind in Christ Jesus. And we begin to realize that, that our circumstances don't define us. Jesus does that. And so on, the, on this deep soul level, you can, you can look around at your circumstances and you can say this, hey, this is not okay. I, I have a whole lot of emotion connected to the chaos of these circumstances because they're not easy, they're hard. And yet deep down in this soul level, I know it's gonna be okay. That in Jesus I have joy. And not, not, just, not just a temporary happiness that's dependent on my happenings and when my happenings change. But listen, I have a joy that will never, ever, ever change. My, my circumstances don't define me, but the sovereign king of the universe tells me who I am. Because as the worship team comes up and we end off in, in worship, let me say this, in the chaos of a Christmas season, with all the gifts to buy, all the dinners to plan, all the social media posts or cards you see of everybody else's perfect family, right? All the stress. Listen to the invitation Jesus gives in Matthew 11. He says this. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. Come to me all who are looking in, in your circumstances for what only Jesus can provide. Come to me, all those who are exhausted by, by trying to be in control of all your circumstances. Jesus says, I have good news. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. He says, I'll give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your soul. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. That's where joy is found. When you have that kind of rest for your soul. When you realize, I don't have to control everything because he is in control of everything. He is for me. So as we end off this morning, I love the way Peter says it in 1 Peter 5, 7. He says, cast all your cares on him for he cares for you. And here's what often we do, though. We, we take these anxieties, we take these struggles and these trials, and, and we do. We, we kind of, in, in our church language, right, we say, we, we're going to lay them at the cross, and we, and we bring them to Jesus, say, Jesus, here you go. We pray about the anxieties, all the things we're worried about, and then we pick them back up again, and we kind of go, thanks, Jesus, and we keep carrying them with us, right? He says, cast them, and don't, don't cast them like fishing. You're not casting them, bringing them back, right? It's, it's throw these things on Christ, all your worries, all your cares, all your control, all your fears, all your brokenness, all your sin. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, all who are exhausted. I'll give you rest for your soul. I mean, the shepherds heard this good news and it changed everything for them. They were still shepherds, and, and, and I'm sure life was still hard for them, but they, they, it says in Scripture, they went away glorifying, praising God for all they'd heard and seen. Even though their circumstances likely didn't change, they traded their sorrows in because they had the joy of now meeting Jesus. So for this morning, are you hurting this morning? Are you stressed? Are, are, are you freaked out? Are you, are you anxious Maybe this morning you really, truly cast that care. 
And you say, God, would you guard my heart and mind this morning? Jesus, would you give me rest for my soul? Even if my circumstances don't change, let me see you. Would you stand as I pray? Lord God, as we um, sing this morning, I thank you that out of that dark night, there was this announcement of joy. That, that you came with mercy, you came with grace to, to reconcile us, to redeem us, that, that you suffered because of the joy that was set before you. Seeing our salvation, you took on the cross. And in your resurrection, we have this new life. We have your spirit in us. We have a, a joy that only your spirit can produce. So Father, I pray this. I pray that we live in that freedom, that we would live in that joy. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing.